So we are in Galatians 5 these first weeks in January. In one word, Galatians 5 is about freedom. One word, Galatians 5 is about freedom. The phrase that is the core theme of Galatians 5 is that Christ has set us free in order that we would live free. In other words, there are those who are set free but not living free or trying to live free but not as he intends freedom to be. There's a perversion of the gospel happening that he is addressing in Galatians 5. But it's freedom to be free to be set free. So, from three specifics we looked at two weeks ago. Christ has set you free to live free from the law, to live free from sin, and to live free from death. Now let me grab the objects we've been looking at. We've been set free from... First, the black hood, the the stinging power of death. We've been set free from the enslaving power of sin, and we've been set free from the condemning power of the law. Uh, It's the yoke of slavery that Paul talks about here in Galatians 5, that those who had trusted in Christ were being attempted to be enforced to put back on the yoke of the law, of requiring Jesus plus the law in order to be saved. So it's about freedom from the law, from sin, and from death, and living free from them. That's been the opening verses in Galatians 5. Then, in the middle of the chapter, he reminds us that our freedom is not to do as we please, but to love as we've been loved. A perversion of the gospel is that we add works to Jesus in order to gain our freedom. Jesus plus our works will set us free. No, it's Jesus only. Another perversion of the gospel is Jesus has set me free, therefore I can do whatever I want. No, we have been set free to love as we have been loved. And now in verses 16 through 24, and we'll cover some of these again next week, but we're going to look at what the fruits of freedom really are. So verse 16, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against what? The flesh. You see the opposition? Flesh and spirit at war with one another. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please, whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, the flesh and the spirit are warring. When the flesh is winning, here's what it looks like. Immorality, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. 
What's that mean? It means he ran out of gas. He was like, okay, you, you get the idea. Uh, long list, are all those things the full expression of the flesh? No. It's just a sampling. And then he goes, and things like these. People doing whatever they want to do. That's the deeds of the flesh. And then he says, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, what's the things? The deeds of the flesh, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that, is that all of them? No, it's the sampling he gives in this text of what the life of the Spirit looks like. And then he says, against such thing, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So a very obvious point from this text is this, that the lifestyle of the flesh is radically different than the lifestyle of the free. Radically different. We've been set free by Christ in order to live free. Living free means to love as we have been loved. That's a life that looks radically different than the lifestyle of the flesh. So, uh, they're in opposition. So, I, I took the list and I want to show them to you, and you might arrange them differently. If you do, that's no problem. That's fine. Simply took the list and said, when he says the principle is they are opposition, what would that mean? Here's what, how I arranged it. I said, selfishness and rage, deeds of the flesh, are in opposition to what fruit of the Spirit? Selfishness and rage is in opposition to love and joy, right? Specifically. You can think of a home that is marked by selfishness and rage, and you can think of a home marked by love and joy. Radically different. Some of you have experienced both. There is hostility, quarreling, division, and dissension. Those are deeds of the flesh. They're in opposition to, to what? What's the opposite of that in the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, peace and then gentleness. You, you've experienced relationships, people who are hostile and quarreling, they're always dividing, they're always stirring up trouble. And then those who promote peace treat with gentleness. There is envy and jealousy in opposition to the fruit of the spirit of patience and kindness. Part of envy and jealousy is I don't want to wait, and if you have it and I don't, I don't like you. Jealous people are never kind. There's immorality, impurity, sorcery, idolatry, which is the opposite of what? The fruit of the Spirit. Goodness and faithfulness. Idolatry is the ultimate unfaithfulness. 
And then you have in the deeds of the flesh, lust and drunkenness versus what fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Now again, all I did is take the list and show how the principle that he says they're in opposition to one another, how I see the opposites line up. You could arrange them differently. That wouldn't be the point. The point is they are radically different and here's what he says in verse 21. Not only are they radically different, he says those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, Thank you. I knew that wasn't the right next slide. It says in verse 21, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, what are the things? Come on, stay with The deeds of the flesh, those who practice the deeds of the flesh, what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that strike you in any way? Does that make you go, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I just thought the whole beginning of Galatians 5 was none of this adding on the law again, that it was Jesus only. And now we're getting, if you don't do these things, you're out. You're not getting in. It, it, it seems contrary. Is he saying that if you don't change from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit, that you won't be good enough to be saved. <laughs> no. I use my words very carefully there. Because who is good enough to be saved? No one. You'll never, the whole point of the law was to reveal my sin, to reveal the fact that I could never be good enough to save myself. The law was a tutor to drive me to Jesus. So he's not saying, hey, you got to do these things so that you can be good enough to be saved. You'll never be good enough to be saved. So if I'll never be good enough to be saved, then why if I do these things, won't I be saved? Had he told them this before? Sure. Uh, I forewarn you just as I have. In other words, this is a repeat. I'm warning you again like I warned you before. That if you what, practice, that is, if the consistent lifestyle matches up to the deeds of the flesh, you're not saved. What? I didn't think I could earn my salvation. You can't. Well, then that doesn't make sense. You see the tension? I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying to help you understand the tension of the text is he said just that Jesus only for salvation. And now he's saying, if you don't do these things, you're not saved. How can that be true? Now, verse 24. 
Well, write it, you're blank. If your lifestyle is of the flesh, you're forewarned, you're not saved. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not saved. And the reason he is saying this is verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I'm not trying to trick you, so you can relax here. And then sometimes you think, ah, he's trying to trick me, so I don't want to answer. Past, present, or future here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Past, present, future. Yeah, very clearly past. So he's saying something happened to those when they were born again, when they trusted in Jesus only, not Jesus plus keeping the law, Something happened when they trusted in Jesus only, and that thing that happened was that with that, the flesh, with its passions and desires, were past crucified. So if you do the things on a consistent lifestyle of the flesh, it's not you're not good enough to be saved, it's you haven't been You haven't been saved because there's a spiritual reality. It's really him saying the same thing that we looked at last week from Romans 6. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's not an indignant, how dare you continue to sin. That is a genuine spiritual reality question. How can you who died to sin still continue to live? That be your consistent lifestyle. Remember our one-legged duck? What's a one-legged duck do, for those who weren't here? Swims in circles. Why? Why does he swim in circles? Because that's all he can do. A one-legged duck can only swim in circles. Paul is simply saying, analogy here, if a one-legged duck, who all they've ever been able to do is swim in circles, whoo, gets a second leg, why have you, who used to be one-legged ducks, now two-legged ducks, how can you continue to only swim in circles. How should you who died to sin, in our analogy, gotten a second leg, how should you who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know? Next verse, he says. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, what happened to you? You were baptized into his death. And therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ, who was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You tracking? When you were born again, what spiritually happened? When you place faith in Christ, the spiritual reality is that your flesh was crucified with Christ, and what else? Buried, and you were raised. You are identified with him in death, in burial, and resurrection. For what purpose? So that you would live a new life. So that the deeds of the flesh would become the the fruit of the spirit in your life. Don't you know that? He's gone. He continues. 
For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, have we? Yes or no? Yes. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Yes or no? Yes. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. All he's simply saying is, just like a one-legged duck only swims in circles, as long as you were a slave to sin, then your lifestyle would be marked by the deeds of the flesh. But if you were identified with him in death and burial, sin has been broken, and identified with him in resurrection, Christ now lives in you, your lifestyle will now be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Why? So that you can be saved. No, no, no. If you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, wrong. Not so that you would be saved, because you are saved. So critical that you listen carefully. Identified with him in death, burial, and resurrection so that you would walk in newness of life because you are saved. We are not living, trying to live a fruit of the Spirit so that we would be saved, so that we would earn our salvation. We can't. We'll never be good enough. The, the yoke of slavery has been taken by Christ so that we would be born again. Identified with him, death. Flesh, its desires and passions, crucified. Christ in me, raised with him so that I would walk in newness of life. So, Paul says to the Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, whole new things have come. So, to, to be saved, we get rid of old stuff and we start new stuff. No, come on, people, no. Because we are saved, what happens? New things come, old things pass away. Deeds of the flesh pass away. Through the Spirit, new things come. Not in order to save us, but because we are saved. If I become a more moral person, then I'll be saved. No, that is a perversion of the gospel that returns to Jesus plus keeping of the law, right? That is not true. If that is not true, right? Okay, is this true? Flip it. If I'm saved, then I'll become a more moral person. Absolutely true. It is as true as the other one is false. Why? Because we earn our salvation. No, 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 not because we earn our salvation, because of the spiritual reality that happens at our salvation. We get it confused. We think, oh, well, if it's not by works, then works don't have anything to do with our salvation. Baloney. Works will never earn my salvation. But the reality of the, the spiritual reality that happens when I am saved, identified with him in death, burial, and resurrection, so that in Christ, 
I've been crucified with him and Christ in me. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. Then I will be a more moral person. Immediately? Completely? That is a process. But where there is a lifestyle of the deeds of the flesh, I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you, you won't be saved. Not because you're not earning it, because you're demonstrating that the spiritual reality has not been transformed in your life, that you are still a one-legged duck and living like it. So, there was, and there still is in the church, good people who believe in the Bible who constantly have this argument. Either you are saved by grace through faith, or your faith is dead without works. When I first came to the chapel, guys were, uh, authors that you would read and trust were writing on this side against this side, and guys were writing on this side against this side. This one, trying to defend against the adding of the law. This one, over here, trying to protect the reality, the spiritual reality that happens when we are no longer slaves to sin. So, which is it? Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified, how? By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. He says in two verses, the same, one verse, excuse me, the same thing three times. Positive, negative, positive. Only through Jesus will be justified. Now, I don't know how long it took him to write Galatians, but not long, 22 minutes, 25 minutes later, after writing this, he writes, I forewarn you, that just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, the deeds of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, dude, make up your mind. Which is it? Is it you are only justified by faith in Christ or those who practice the deeds of the flesh will not be saved. Which is it? Which verse are you going to believe? It's not an or. Both are true. It's an and. Show you more. You know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. True or false? Same, Jesus. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. So, which is it? Are we saved? We, we don't perish because we believe or... Is that we're going to be known by our fruits? Yeah, it's a an ant. Is this true? 
Is this true? Yes. Why? Because you've got to get good enough before you can be saved. No. So you catch up. No, that's foolishness. It's Jesus only, but the spiritual reality, don't miss this, the spiritual reality is that when I am saved, I am in Christ. The flesh has been crucified with its desires and passions. And Christ is in me. I'm identified with him in resurrection so I can walk in newness of life. That's why if you believe, you'll be saved and you'll be known by your fruits. Because of your identification with Christ and because of Christ in you. It's not either or, it's both and. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Very specifically, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. One second later, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So, which is it? Are we saved by grace and not by works, or are we saved for good works? Now, you're catching. It's not an or, it's a, is this true? Is this true? Yeah. Why? Because you got to do good works to get saved. No. Because those who are saved, what's the spiritual reality? They are in Christ, identified with him in death. Flesh has been crucified with its passions and desires. And Christ is in them, identified with him in resurrection for the walking of newness of life. Saved by grace, not by works. Saved for good works. Both and. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. What did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. So everything that the law revealed about me that made me guilty, nailed to the cross, forgiven. But then he turns around and says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So do we have life because we've been forgiven all or do we put off the old and put on the new? Again, you go, okay, I'm getting the pattern now. Don't just go into the pattern. Why is it an and? What's the spiritual reality? I am in Christ. Don't forget this. I am in Christ. In what way? I've been identified with him in death. That is, my flesh has been, and it has been crucified with its passions and desires. And Christ is in me. I'm identified with him in resurrection so that I would walk in newness of life. It's and. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, which is it? Is eternal life a free gift or are we under obligation to put the deeds of the flesh? Again, don't just automatically, oh, I don't know, it's, the or is always and now. <laughs> Why? Why is the or an and? What's the spiritual reality? This is no, number fifth time, so I wonder if you've... What, what's this one? I am in Christ. How? Identified with him in death. So that my flesh, with its passions and its desires, have been crucified. And Christ is in me, identified with him in resurrection, so that I would walk in newness of life. Yes, eternal life is a free gift. I couldn't earn it. Christ bought it for me. And he changed me. And therefore, because he's changed me, I don't live according to who I used to be. I live according to who I am in Christ and Christ in me. So which is it? Saved by grace through faith or faith without works is dead. And I hate the fact that, that our Salvation has been so muddied up. I hope you've captured what is the relationship between faith and works. <laughs> I'll never be saved by my works because my works could never be good enough. It would only be Jesus. <laughs> but when I trust in Jesus, how dare you sin anymore. No. When I trust in Jesus, I am made one with him in death. The old me, the flesh with its desires and passions, crucified with him, buried, and I am raised with him so that I would walk in newness of life. I walk in newness of life because I am a new person. And when I live according to the deeds of the flesh, I, I, I reveal that I am still dead in my sins. So he says, I'm warning you, like I warned you before. If your lifestyle is marked by the deeds of the flesh, you're not saved. Not because works save you, but because the saved are changed people. He who began a good work in you will continue it. He will. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
will never work to gain our salvation, but the saved will always be growing and changing because it is the work of God in us according to the spiritual transformation that he has done in death, burial, and resurrection. So to the Corinthians, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Why? They won't inherit the kingdom of God because they are still dead in their sins, demonstrated by the deeds of the flesh that still mark their life. Now watch, he says, don't be deceived. This is true. Such were some of you. But what happened? What happened? You were washed, identified with him in death. The, your guilt nailed to the cross. You were forgiven. All your sins, cleansed. But what else? Sanctified. You, you were changed in who you were. You, you're, you're not just a mess that got cleaned up and washed up and now try better. You are a mess who got cleaned up. You were washed and sanctified, changed in who you are, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Very simply, good works cannot earn salvation. We've repeated that over and over in this freedom series. True or false? Good works cannot earn salvation. True or false? But are the evidence of salvation? True or false? Are you as equally convinced to line two as you are line one? These are not in opposition to one another. The arguments the arguments are rooted in an insufficient understanding of the inner transformation that happens in our salvation, identified with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. So, number one, are you trusting in Jesus only to be your Savior? Not your coming to church, not your stopping to cuss, not your trying to be a better spouse, not because you've been reading your Bible or trying to pray, only because you have recognized, I can't save myself. Christ has paid my penalty. I'm trusting in him and him only. Are you trusting in Jesus only? 
You can't earn it. If you have, you are being changed. And what's his point? If you're not being changed, I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that robbing our salvation of God's grace? No, no. It is amplifying the fullness of God's grace who not only forgives us, but makes us new people in Christ. Father, I pray that it would be the gracious work of your spirit that you would open the eyes of those who think they may be saved but are still dead in their sins. I pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would make it clear. And Lord, would simply ask that he, you, who began a good work in the redeemed who are gathered here this morning, that you would continue that work until you return to the praise of your glory and to the fullness of our joy. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Before you go, many of you are going, all right, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm saved. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty far from perfect. What do I do with that, Doug? One, you go back and you affirm again what you believe about yourself, what you believe about Jesus. And you recognize that freedom has a fruit, but freedom's fruit is a result of a fight that you learn to win by coming next week. (laughs) Seriously, next week we'll look at the freedom's fight from Galatians 5, that too many of us are losing to the destruction of our marriages, our families, and our testimony. All right, see you next week.